Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to be together, to share the word together. I look forward to what you're going to reveal tonight, and I pray that you will bless us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, we are doing our Bible study on the letters to the churches, church in Ephesus and Smyrna and so on and so on. There's one thing in this that we, we haven't really addressed, and I want to address it in this uh, little study before we go on, is we have been talking about the churches and the letters to the churches, but we also talk about the church ages. And so I want to make a real good link between the churches as they are written to and as they are approached in the uh, in the book of Revelation and the church ages that we've been talking about that are historical periods of time. And while we do take our uh, inspiration uh, from Brother Branham and, and the message that he brought out, it is not only on that evidence, although that is good. Uh, the Lord blessed him and gave him inspiration and revelation, but it's also evident within other studies that these um, churches that Jesus writes to through uh, John are indicative of church ages or periods of time in the uh, in the church. And you can see that even by looking at the scriptures, uh, and just as for an example, in the um, in chapter three of the book of Revelation, it, it's talking about uh, the Sardis, uh, the church to Sardis, or the message to Sardis, and it says in verse two, "Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die." For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know the hour that I will come on thee. And so he starts talking in the messages that I will come on thee. And then in the next church age, uh, the Philadelphian church age, or the letter to the Philadelphian church, it says in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And then in the Laodicea, or the, the church of the Laodiceans, it says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And we have that vision there of Jesus coming for the Last Supper. And that Last Supper being something that we will see not only in uh, with Jesus coming into us, but we will go and sup with Jesus. So there's a progression within those three church ages saying, I will come. Behold, I come quickly. I stand at the door. So we can see that progression through that, which gives us a sense that this is leading up to the return of Jesus, which we know didn't happen back in the time uh, when John was writing to the church of Laodicea. 
but it, it's we believe it's going to happen today. So there's a progression there. I wanted to read something mm-hmm. from uh, the Schofield Bible, which I have here. I used to have one. And so in the Schofield Bible, and this is just to say, you know, when we read the Bible, and here's a, here's a wonderful insight that we can have. When we read the Bible, we do not read Revelation. What we're reading is confirmation of Revelation. If you could receive Revelation by reading the Bible, just by reading the Bible, then everyone who could read the Bible would receive Revelation. And the better you could read and understand the Bible, the more Revelation you would have. That's, uh, if you like, that's the basis, the carnal man's thinking that you can study and figure out what the Bible means. And hence we have theologians and hence we have uh, schools mm-hmm. studying the Bible, trying to figure out what it means. However, re- go ahead. Yeah, just agreeing with you. Thank yeah. you. No, it's, it's, it's so true. But that's that's really fruit of the tree of knowledge that you're trying to figure out with your mind what it means. Mm-hmm. True revelation comes spiritually and can come without any uh, any contact with the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. what contact did the thief on the cross have with the Bible? Well, True. we know none, but Jesus came to him. We have testimonies, and I'm hoping to record some, of Muslim brothers who Jesus came to in a dream, and they'd never even read the Bible. They'd read the uh, Quran, and uh, Jesus is mentioned in there, and they became Christians because of interactions not with the Bible. The Bible is not revelation. Revelation only comes spiritually. What the Bible is, is confirmation of revelation. It's confirmation because you can have an inspiring thought and then if you can find it in the Bible, you can be pretty sure that, wow, if this, is, if this lines up throughout the Bible and isn't contradicted throughout the Bible, chances are that inspiring thought is a revelation that you've had that you can live your life on. But if you have an inspiring thought and you start reading the Bible and it just doesn't match up, well, maybe you didn't have a revelation. Maybe it was just another kind of inspired thought an enthusiastic thought that doesn't lead to a true revelation of God. So when we read Brother Branham again, we can't get revelation, but we believe as a man that God spoke to, he can recognize and confirm the truth of certain things. And so when we go back to Schofield and we're going to look at Lark and we're going to see these other ministries that had this inspiration And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, we let every word be established. So if we can see it in the Bible, and we can see a couple of people who believe and are persuaded of very similar things, and then we can see it in the ministry of Brother Branham, it gives us a confidence that these things aren't just made up out of thin air, but there's there's a reality behind it. So that's why I want to read this note. Uh, from the Schofield Bible is, is where we'll start. And it's a note on uh, Revelations chapter 1, verse 20, which says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, 
and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And so here is the uh, Schofield's notes on this. And remember, Schofield didn't write this alone, but he had a board of editors and a board of uh, folks who who read this and who mm-hmm. who would have made corrections. So we're not talking about something that was done secretly in a dark cultish corner somewhere. We're talking about something that was studied out over years put down, checked, rechecked, prayed over to put it in its current form. Hmm. So, it says, the messages to the seven churches have a fourfold application. One, local to the churches actually addressed. Two, admonitory to all the churches in all time as tests by which they may discern their true spiritual state in the sight of God. Three, personal, in exhortations to him that hath an ear and in the promises to him that overcometh. Four, and this is what we would just want to focus on here for a moment, prophetic, as discerning seven phases of the spiritual history of the church from, say, AD 96 to the end. It is incredible that in a prophecy covering the church period, there should be no such foreview. These messages must contain the foreview if it is in the book at all, for the church does not appear after 322, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. Again, these messages by their very terms go beyond the local assemblies mentioned. Most conclusively of all, these messages do present an exact foreview of the spiritual history of the church and in this precise order. Ephesus gives the general state at the date of writing. Smyrna, the period of great persecution. Pergamos the church settled down in the world where Satan's throne is after the conversion of Constantine, say, A.D. 316. Thyatira is the papacy developed out of the Pergamos state. Balinism, worldliness, and Nicolaitanism, priestly assumption, having conquered. As Jezebel brought idolatry into Israel, so Romanism weds Christian doctrine to pagan ceremonies. Sardis is the Protestant Reformation, whose works were not fulfilled. Philadelphia is whatever bears clear testimony to the word and name in the time of self-satisfied profession represented by Laodicea. So there we see in Schofield's notes, he's very clearly laying out a representation or a, a parallel and saying this is a spiritual prophecy and this is paralleled in phases or ages which we say the church ages of church history and so what we believe is not just based on one book written by one man but something that's self-evident 
in examining the scriptures and looking at church history. And uh, interestingly here, there's, uh, there are dates laid out in Schofield that correspond very well to the dates laid out in the book An Exposition of the Seven Church Ages. And then I also have a book here which is Dispensational Truth by Clarence Larkin. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again, this is one of the books that we know that uh, Brother Ranham studied, as well as the Schofield. And this was copyrighted in 1918. Okay. Uh, and so this is around the same time uh, that uh, Schofield was writing his works. And so uh, this is what Larkin says, and I hope you don't mind if I read it. No. Okay. It says, these seven churches, speaking of the seven churches in the uh, area, must then be representative or typical churches chosen for certain characteristics typical of the character of the Church of Christ from the end of the first century down to the time of Christ's return for his church and descriptive of seven church periods clearly defined in church history so again we see from this that uh, a plain reading of the scripture with a little spiritual inspiration core in doesn't leave us far from the idea that there are church ages and that these things were written of way before brother branham wrote his book um that schofield and larkin and when we say Schofield, we're talking of Schofield and his editors, who also yeah. would have had input into what he wrote, had an insight that Brother Branham expanded on and based his truth on, even if we could say, as some do, that this is just plagiarism and he just copied them. Well, if you realize the truth, one plus one equals two, you can describe that in different continents at different times in the same manner without it being plagiarism. And then someone can take that theory and write out a theory of mathematics, again, without it being copying, but just being observing the same truths that the other people observed. My brother, um, at the time that Larkin wrote, you said he was writing in 1918 in Schofield about the same time. Um, that was near to the time that the Holy Ghost, the Pentecostal movement on Aziza Street, Azusa Street. Yep. And also, it wasn't at the time of the, the Welsh revival. Yep. So this, they would have been in a climate of revelation. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So the Schofield Reference Bible. Copyrighted 1909. Um, Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the ideas were there before that because you copyright a book at the end of the writing period, not at the beginning. Clarence, 1918, again, the ideas that he's presenting are not copyrighted at the beginning of when he has them, but when they come to maturity. And he has some nice diagrams that we can find 
uh, mm-hmm. that, that lay it out in a very, very similar way to how uh, Brother Branham lays this out. Mm-hmm. So going forward, what we're going to do now is we're going to relate the Church of Ephesus to those periods of church history as well that are outlined in the uh, well in those three sources that we can look at, uh, the Exposition of the Seven Church Ages by William Branham, the Notes in Schofield by Dr. Schofield and his committee, and the Clarence Larkin uh, Dispensational Truths that is written um and and we can we can have a variety of sources to base our opinions on now one of the important things is there is a scriptural principle underlying this that god does work in revelation and god does work in patterns and god lays down foundations in history and in prophecy that are um, good for us to examine, to see what God is saying, to see what we're going through as examples for us. And that's found in a good, clear example of where that's explained is in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I would just start from verse one because it's it's a really good and it it really goes into how uh, God lays down examples in the behaviors and prophecies of others. It says, "Moreover, brethren, that I sh- I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the, in the sea, and did all eat." the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither you be idolaters... As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them, for in samples... And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so we can see there are different phases in the journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. (coughs) Excuse me. So the first phase is when they're in bondage and then they're delivered by signs and wonders and they go out through the Red Sea. And then they're baptized in the Red Sea and they meet God and the Spirit of God leads them. And they're led by the Spirit of God through trials and and, and through tribulations till they come to the Jordan. And then they're baptized again in the Jordan and then they're put in the land. And that's type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, now they're not 
possessing all of the land, but they're in the land with the power of God to possess the land. Just as we are, when we have the Holy Spirit, we don't have the fullness of the promises of God manifest in our lives. We're not in possession of all of them, but we're in the land with the potential to take possession of all of them. And so then it goes on and on until you get to David and and how Christ becomes king and Solomon. And so, and these things are types of the Christian life that we live. And God devises them into phases. Um, the phases of the church ages, the phases of our lives. And we will see the um, parallels as we look in Revelations, not just of the church, but also of the individual believer. It's a carefully crafted mosaic, or should I say something from a loom, God's loom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If I carry on, we're going to get into the Ephesian church age proper and start looking at Paul. But I think uh, I think we can leave it there and perhaps pick that up um next week if that's that's uh okay i i know it does make it shorter than usual well i i I think that's fine i was hoping someone would join us but it's just you and me okay thank you for that in that case what i'll do is uh close in prayer and and uh yeah let's just pray all right All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time together, and we pray that you would bless this word to our hearts. Yeah. We could learn as we go in of uh, the letters to the churches and to the church ages. Yes. Pray that you would bless our friends who couldn't make it this week and be with them and watch over us this weekend. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right, so stop.